Hi everyone, welcome back to Mummy Matters. Today's episode is of an incredibly brave mother of two who shares an insight into her tragic loss of her husband to COVID. This mother went against the norms of society in order to shield their children from people's opinions and reactions. As a mother, she's personified wearing all the different hats and is still moving forward and rebuilding her family. Let's show some love and some support for Amandeep Girin. Uh, thank you for having me on your podcast today. My story really is, um, me and my husband, we'd been trying for baby, baby number three, and um, we miscarried quite uh, quite early on, about three, four months in, into our pregnancy in September. And we left it about three months and to start again, about to try again. And sadly, we miscarried again in April. And um, at that time, because we'd had two miscarriages and they were very unexpected because I'd had two pregnancies that were perfectly fine. Um, and my doctors had told us to not to not get vaccinated for the COVID vaccine just yet. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of speculation in the media that uh, vaccinations would cause further miscarriages and people wouldn't be able, you wouldn't be able to, to conceive as such. And so they said, just, just hold out a little while. Um, but I was okay in the sense that I work from home. So I didn't really have much of an issue in terms of keeping myself shielded. So I was okay. But my husband, he, um, well, he's got a nightclub and he's also a DJ. So he's a wedding DJ and he's quite heavily in the Indian music industry. Mm. So he, um, he started going out a little bit more. Um, so towards June, July time, when everything had started opening up, he became very busy in, in the nightclub side of things. <clears throat> so we made the decision that he would get vaccinated because we were going to try one last time. We were going to try a third. And then if it didn't work, we were, we were happy with what we were given with the two that we have. So um, whenever he went to have his appointment for his vaccination, he was just, he wasn't getting them in Leicester locally. He was getting them in Nottingham or Derby. And um, he, he didn't see the point of having to go all the way there to get vaccinated in order to um, over over five minute jab and then come all the way back. So he just said, look, I'm in, we'll, we'll keep looking, I'll keep looking in Leicester. And as soon as something comes up, I'll, I'll get vaccinated. The, the club has only just started opening up and, and with a lot of people shielding at home already, it wouldn't have been an issue. So, um, so I thought, okay, that's fair enough. You are, you are grown up, you've made that decision. So you're okay to, um, to do what you want to do and um and yeah so almost um about two weeks later he had quite a lot of events happening in one week so he'd been to Birmingham a couple of times he'd been to London a few times and he was local in Leicester and he went he went out one day and he just came back late in the evening and he was just throwing up everywhere and he had a he had a wedding on the first of uh, August that he really wanted to to DJ at because this wedding was a family family friend or a cousin of his and their wedding had already been cancelled twice so he is like look woman I don't care how bad I am um, I don't think it's COVID because I'm just not hungry I think it's food poisoning mm-hmm. so he didn't get himself tested he he went and DJed at these people's wedding um, but when we got back on Sunday we, I was we were guests at the wedding so it was like a we, were, we went as guests but he was the DJ and uh, we we got back home and he just went straight to sleep and that's not like Inda so normally after a gig 
he's he's had a few drinks and he just wants to he's just stay awake and listen to music or, or talk and stuff but he went straight to bed and then the next morning he um he said I think it's time I tested because I feel really bad and um he tested and he tested positive for COVID and over the course of the week I tested positive it was myself him and our daughter Simmer who's two at the time um the three of us for home and our son was with um, his grandparents because it was a summer holidays um and so yeah so over the course of the week he got progressively worse and his cough kicked in um he couldn't eat anything and he was beginning to look a little bit pale mm-hmm. and so he said it's time we run nhs and just to see what um what they say and um and yeah so it wasn't like a decision on a whim that he went into hospital we spoke to about three or four different doctors at three or four different times of the day and then by the afternoon early evening they'd said look I think it's time you come in and get checked out just to make sure everything's okay um it's just to really cross him off the list to say that he was he wasn't as high risk as everyone else because there was nothing actually wrong with him physically or in terms of medically either he just had a dodgy knee from playing football but other than that there was nothing wrong with him so they just wanted to cross him off the list to say we've checked him out and he can go back home but um, but yeah, one night turned into, um, into being moved from Leicester Royal to Glenfield um, and Glenfield being one of the best respiratory hospitals in the UK, they said, look, best if you went there because the, the care that they can give him there is second to none. Mm-hmm. So he, he went and a few days turned into um, a week and a half and then I, I was called at like two o'clock one one Tuesday morning so he'd been there for about just over 10 days and they called the hospital called me and they um they said they were from the ICT um unit and if we didn't they didn't take him straight to intensive care that he would pass away on the ward so they wanted my consent so I gave them my consent to take him to ICU because he was non-responsive and um so I was waiting for a phone call back so that they could tell me what happened because it's being woken up at two o'clock in the morning saying your husband would potentially pass away. It's very scary. And I didn't know who to call. Everyone else was still asleep and nobody knew what was happening. So we so I ended up waiting and they called me when he was stable about nine o'clock later on that morning. And they'd said, look, he's, he's stable now um, and he's, he's going to call you himself. So he managed, he, he would text rather than call because he had, a, he had a CPAP mask on or an oxygen mask on majority of the day. So in order to keep the oxygen flowing in, he couldn't really speak much on the phone. Um, so our conversations were mostly text messages and um, he'd stayed in ICU for about three or four days and they'd given him really high um, medication in terms of um, painkilling medication and, and I'm assuming COVID medication as well. Um, antibiotics and um, and yeah so they sent him back out of ICU saying that everything seems to be working fine and you're on the road to recovery and when he was allowed out of ICU and back in a ward um, I was allowed to go and visit him then so I made daily trips for about five days to go and visit him and um, see how he was doing and just generally trying to keep his spirits up but it was it was a very limited time you could stay in these wards because of risk to your own health as well so um so yeah on on the friday we were told that the weekend's going to go fine um monday tuesday start preparing to bring him home 
um, because we can't see that there's much issue left with him and his oxygen intake was decreasing, which meant his blood oxygen levels were increasing. So that's the stability that they wanted in a COVID patient. But Friday night, Saturday morning, something happened and his lung collapsed uh, overnight. And I went back into hospital first thing Saturday morning because he was still on the ward. And um, the, the doctors and hospital nurses said, look, this is very dangerous now because it seems like something's happened internally, but we won't know until we've had an x-ray done. And they ended up taking him back into ICU and um, they put a chest drain in to relieve a lot of the pressure and look, and it's, they said it worked out that his lung had collapsed and um, and they they pulled out all the air. So what happened was his was taking in air from the machines and everything, but his lung is like a sponge. So one of the bubbles inside of his lung had exploded and all of the air was stuck in his chest cavity. And that was what was causing him having so much pressure inside. And, and so, yeah, so they relieved the pressure and they kept him in ICU, but that happened. His lung collapsed about three times in the course of the course of like two or three days. And, um, but Inda was, he fought all the way through in the sense that he was awake and he was walking around sometimes with like two or three pipes coming out of his chest and just where they would relieve the pressure. And, and on, I had a phone call on the Thursday saying he's becoming very unresponsive and it was very unlike him because he was still talking. He was the only one in ICU that was still talking, um, watching Netflix, trying to keep the time going and sitting up. So he spent a lot of his time sitting up because they say proning by keeping your lungs um, elevated and breathing fully in helps to kill COVID. And so, you know, in the sense that he did everything that he had to do in order to fight the uh, disease. But on Thursday morning, they said to me, it's becoming a little bit too much for him. Um, he's not as strong as he he wants to be. And, you know, I'd, I'd been t sending in protein bars, anything I could figure out that would give him energy, whether it was home-cooked meals or whether it was, you know, the Indian remedies that everyone asks you and they say, give him this water, make this, send this over. So every morning I'd be taking daily trips to the hospital in the morning to drop off his his food his flasks and any protein bars and in the evening I would do the same um but my Thursday morning they said that it, it was he was becoming very weak so that's when I they said look you have to come in Mrs. Gann you um you need to make some important decisions and I brought his brothers in with me so I'd asked his older brother and Indus twin brother to come with me because I think the enormity of what they were about to ask was a bit too much for me to take on my own shoulders and I didn't it's that thing isn't it you don't want to make a decision that could potentially be against something his own flesh and blood would want so we the three of us went in to see the hospital and the doctors and they said look we're gonna we're gonna try an attempt of a fourth chest drain so he'd already had three pipes put in and they said his lung has collapsed once more and we're going to um put a chest drain in but if that fails we are going to put him to sleep straight away in the sense that he needs to be on a on a ventilator now we've been told that had he gone on a ventilator there was his chances of survival were going to be really low because 
then the machine takes over and they're breathing for you. And when your lungs are so badly damaged from, from COVID, a machine breathing for you will just make them worse. So it's better to, to breathe yourself so you know how much oxygen is coming into your body. Um, and um, they went to do the fourth chest drain and um, he went down, his stats went down very dangerously and they ended up putting him to sleep whilst we were waiting in the hospital room. And, um, and so that was uh, Thursday and Thursday afternoon, we were told, look, it's gonna be up and down, but he's still alive, he's still here. Um, we're monitoring everything and we'll, we'll keep in touch with you um and then friday afternoon we got a phone call to say he's very bad you have to come into hospital now and you have to come and say goodbye and and then i got there with we'd got there with family and and my parents had uh, come come up from birmingham by then and um everyone went to see him and he seemed like he'd stabilized so they said, look, there's going to be days where we're going to call you in as a family just to say goodbye because we don't know what can happen. And uh, Friday night, they'd said, look, he's very unstable. He's going up and down and we'll keep in touch with you and let you know what we can do if, if there is anything we can do. And um, they tried to block off one of his lungs. So they through the x-rays, they assumed that his right lung, the one that kept collapsing, was was the bad lung so they thought if they could block off one lung and just work with his left lung um, they might give him a chance to let his right lung recover a little bit but when they went to do the procedure they realized that it's actually he was right lung that was keeping him alive and his left one was just beyond repair so they kept him under observation and the chest drain that they'd put in the fourth one wasn't working so they took it out and put it in in a different place and then that's when things went really wrong his um, oxygen was going into his body but it wasn't coming back out so the machine was only halfway working and the way these ventilators work they work with they work with you they don't work for you so if he wasn't pushing out the oxygen it was staying in his body and slowly slowly his um, his blood started to circulate carbon dioxide around his body, which slowly, slowly started killing his organs. And he had liver failure, he had kidney failure by the time Saturday morning had come along. And um, that's when they said to us, look, there's a chance that he could have a heart attack and die at any given moment. You have to you have to make a decision. And they, they, they'd already said that we, as, as someone who really wanted him to be here with her, every step of the way I think I said look just if he has a heart attack just bring him back and they said they would bring him back the first time but to bear in mind that in order to bring someone back from a heart attack they'd have to break his ribs in order to with the compressions to restart his heart and at what point would it be enough if he was to have another heart attack five minutes later in order for them to bring it back and and if he was to have a heart attack, it would be really painful for him, rather than if they helped him go be put to sleep. And so that's when we decided that his, as his family, um, we would turn off the life support and see if he could breathe on his own. And um, they'd said it could last anything up to 25 minutes in order for him, or he could just continue breathing on his own without any issues. But the moment he um, they turned the machines off, 
probably lasted less than 30 seconds. So it was like the machines were just keeping him alive. And, um, and yeah, so he went into hospital on the 7th of August and he passed away on the 4th. And um, yeah. So as a mother, how have you like, because obviously you've got two young kids as well. Yeah, so we've got a little boy called Kamwar, who was five at the time, and uh, our daughter Simmer, who was two at the time. So did they know that obviously daddy's poorly, this is a situation or? Um, so it's really tough because, and I think this was one of Inda's only regrets in, in life was when, he went into hospital that day not knowing that he was never going to come back so the the kids were playing in the front room and he just walked out the door not saying goodbye to them thinking I'll be back in about an hour two hours and, and I think that was his biggest regret that he didn't say bye to them because he didn't he didn't get to as a parent you know when your kids are around playing around and stuff and you have to run out to Tesco or whatever you don't think I'd oh, let me just give them a quick hug because I might not see them again so I think for him sitting in hospital and not being able to say goodbye to to the children and to and to myself properly was one of his biggest mm. biggest things that were played on his mind and, and the kids didn't realize to be fair that that daddy had gone because it was so quick he just they said, look, you have to you have to go. You have to be there in the next half an hour. So um, I put his shoes on, just went. And um, Kamma understood that daddy was in hospital. and But he didn't know why. He, he didn't understand what COVID was. And, um, and yeah, so Simma, Simma never understood where he was. We would FaceTime. And because Inda was awake throughout the majority of his stay in hospital, it just seemed normal for them to have some conversation with him and everything was okay yeah yeah so uh so i moved in with his parents and with inda's parents because they only live about five minutes away because after i recovered from covid um i moved in with his parents just so that i could have the additional support with the children because it was um it was coming up it, well, we were in bags back in the middle of the summer holidays and and i also wanted them to see the progress themselves it's tough when you give someone a phone call because I was the next of kin I was the one that they were going to call all the time mm -hmm. so I moved us into their house so that everyone could be there when he called or everyone could be there when the hospital called so if there's any questions anyone wanted answering they were first hand there rather than me having to wait another 24 hours to give them any more information and um, and it kept the children really occupied as well mm -hmm. so they didn't really they didn't feel like daddy wasn't around because they were at grandma and granddad's and that was that was quite normal for them so yeah i tried to keep it as normal as possible but they could tell it wasn't normal because we didn't spend more than two three nights at grandma and granddad's but we were there for almost a month after yeah whilst linda was in hospital yeah so what was it like when they obviously they told you that this is it now this is what's going to happen I mean what was what was going through your mind when you think when I think back and I think what was I thinking I was thinking nothing I was mm. like oh my god what the hell are they saying this 
this guy is the strongest guy that I know. And and those who know India would know that he wasn't someone who would shy away from anything. So, and even if he couldn't do something, he would try. So and I thought, you don't know who you're about to lose right now. He, this guy is very important to us. And I'd said to the hospital, I said to the doctor at the time, I said, he's got two children and he's got a wife and we've, and whilst he was in hospital, we'd had our eight year anniversary. So we were very lucky we had two anniversaries because we had a civil wedding and then we had our Indian wedding. We were married on the 14th and our civil wedding and our, our Indian wedding was on the 22nd of September. So we, we'd already, I said, you've, he's missed his anniversary at, home, at hospital. You've got to help him get back home because it's not fair that he's such an important person, not only in my life, but in the children's lives and in the outer circle as well. Mm. I don't know. And your whole world just falls apart right in front of you and you can't do anything to stop it. And when you when you face losing your husband in in death, it's very different to, I don't know, things like getting divorced or splitting up because you can work at that and you can you can yeah. try and plead with each other to kind of make things work. But for me, I didn't know who I could literally beg to keep him here. And and don't get me wrong, I prayed every day when he went into hospital anyway, and we went to the we went to the temple every day. And the children went to the temple every day as well with me. But you think, what can you do at a time like this when someone's telling you that your whole world is about to fall apart? Especially when you don't see it coming. Yeah. Because you don't plan for these things, right? It's just, like you said, he's just going to go for an appointment. Yeah. And the fact that they told us that he was coming home on Friday, fast forward a week to Saturday, when he should have been home, they were telling us to try and work out whether we should switch the machine off or not. And I, and I think, I don't know whether the hospital didn't realise how bad he was or it's something that they, they no one pre-warned me that this was going to be happening. And, mm-hmm. and I think to see it happen in the sense that you told me last week to prepare to bring him home, this was never the way that I was meant to be bringing him home. Yeah. I think that was the hardest. So like, when you needed that time to heal, how have you, how have you built up that strength to be able to kind of heal your kids, be there for your kids, support your kids, when you yourself um, are, you know, so broken inside trying to find your own feet almost? Yeah, um, I think in my own, my way of dealing with everything is just take one day at a time and not to make plans too far ahead. At the time when September 1st came along, um, I thought, okay, so I've got, you've got two different heads of you. You've got like a mum head and you've got your wife head. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they work perfectly fine simultaneously and day-to-day life is fine but a situation like this where you've lost your husband so the person that you would normally talk to about majority of the decisions but you've still got to make a lot of important decisions for the children as well um, in in how to 
help them navigate what's happening with them so for me i put them first yeah i put on this brave face to the rest of the world to say look we are we're gonna i'm gonna do this i think somehow i found the strength and i'm quite a laid-back chilled out person i'm very happy go lucky mm. see what happens but when something like this happened i became a lot stronger in the sense that okay no i'm going to start making decisions and i'm not going to second guess myself because if inda was here he'd never second guess my questions or my uh, my answers or my decisions so why am i going to now start thinking okay should i ask so and so or should i ask so and so so i said no i'm going to start making plans and make decisions for the children and i'm going to stick to them because because i didn't want i didn't want to fall apart in the sense that i let them just run free and i wanted to keep them in the same structure so when inda passed away canwa had already started school he'd um, he'd already i'd been already been taking him to school so he passed away on the saturday morning and on monday i took him to school like normal wow. and no one knew at the time around around the school or anything of what had happened um i took camera to school and i um, sat down and spoke to his head teacher and his teacher and i said look this is what's happened with daddy they knew that he he'd um, he'd been in hospital because i'd kept them in the loop for after the school yeah. holidays they knew what was happening and um i explained to them like his his dad has passed away but i want to keep him in school to give him the same structure so at home it was terrible because people were coming around to pay respects mm-hmm. and in in our culture it's not one day it's day in day out for weeks and we were still living at mum and dad's house so it was very abnormal for them anyway so it was very abnormal for them to be at school on a monday to friday and then come home to grandma's house because that never happens mm-hmm. so we're trying to i was trying to keep it as contained as possible within my means and so my decision for the children was they go to school and they're going to continue going to school when they come back from school um leave me to do homework with them leave me to do reading with him and let me continue being me at mum and dad's house even though there's so many people around as well so it was very tough because we had people coming to my in-laws house to pay respects but we had um we have a prayer that starts almost almost immediately after someone passes away and so we made that decision to have it in in our house i say we but i chose to have it in our house because it was a choice of having it in your house or having it in the godana but this was inda's home and and my decision was he had his own house and so the part should have happened in his house because it was for him and and i think a lot of people questioned my decisions and they, they it's tough when you're living in a in a in a family where a lot of people's opinions matter and they count for things but i said i think i put my foot down i said no the prayer is going to happen in this house which meant a lot of the rooms in our house were occupied by by my my family who'd come down from Birmingham they were situated in our house and we had the bard going on and we had um us living in another house and so trying to trying to deal with a lot of things happening at the same time and then sadly my mama passed away 
five days after, six days after Inda passed away. So there was another death in Birmingham. And so a lot of my family were then separated. So half of them were here, half of them were in Birmingham. And, um, but thank goodness my parents and my, my friends all came together and they, they kept the kids contained within those two weeks of having the the funeral set and and everything and um and yeah so I made some really tough decisions in the sense that I didn't want the children to see their dad that way yeah um and and I don't know whether people agree with my decision or not but I knew that later on in life it would just make it harder for them I mean I'm 38 now and I have flashbacks and I have moments where I could be sitting there thinking about Indburn and I remember him taking his last breath and I remember him being in the morgue and I remember him you know when we first went to see him at hospital and I didn't want my children to ever think of their dad like that so so I made some decisions that people didn't agree with but because they say he's like our son is his first son and he and he has a son, so he has an heir. So a lot of the olders were saying that he should see his dad one more time before he goes, or he should be a part of the funeral. But um, but I put my foot down and said, no, he's not coming to any part where he sees his dad in a place where he wouldn't have to see him unless yeah. unless he was older. And I think had he been a little bit older, it would have been his decision whether he wanted to go ahead with the funeral or going but because Cameron was so young he was only five and I think at five you carry some emotions and some memories with you forever mm. and and obviously our daughter was only two so for her to see daddy in a box and she would just want to jump on him because that's what she would do when she would see him go to hug him and I think that would have been not only heartbreaking for me but he would have thought, and I put myself in his things, and he would have said, what are you doing, Owen? Why are you putting our children through this when you don't have to? Mm. So I shielded the children a lot from a lot of things that they didn't need to be a part of. But I did take them on the funeral day. I did take them to the Godwara afterwards. So after we went to the crematorium, um, I came home and I I picked them up and took them to the Godwara with me. and they came they they uh, paid their respects they stayed for about 10 15 minutes so that it kept it didn't keep people happy because i'm assuming it's not the right word to say but it kind of put people at ease to know okay so the children are part of this and then then i made sure they went back because to um, to a family house because i think you you when you're going through something as bad as this and you yourself are falling apart you and you're trying to be so strong in front of the children and don't get me wrong I've explained to the children that it's okay to cry and we have moments where we we do get really upset but there's some things that they don't don't need to be a part of and they don't need to see other people crying as loudly as some people do and it's just not fair on them so I I then said look they have to go they they went back home and um, that was the only involvement they had in the whole of Inda's passing was a half an hour stint at the Godwara where they paid their respects, did the adas, and then they went home. Mm-hmm. So um, 
So I think that's where I was really adamant that, that nobody was going to tell me what I was going to do with the children because in hindsight, I think looking back, I think I did the right thing, but I know I did the right thing because those same people who wanted me to bring them to the temple or to be part of the funeral for them to see their dad the last time, they're not here now. Yeah. And nobody picks up the pieces on your children when they're crying. And and I and I think sometimes the last memories the children have of their daddy are happy memories. They they don't have to think about seeing their dad the way that I saw him in the last moments of his life or or the build up to it or even the aftermath, you know, mm. and, and I think I think I did the right thing. And 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 you know, people may think that, oh, she should have, but I think until you find yourself in this position it's very hard to think about what you would do and um and you know and and I think sometimes if I was to make the decisions all over again I think I'd still still stick to what I uh what I did but yeah. you know it's incredibly brave to kind of go against the kind of norm that has been set but as a mother as you said you got to do what you've got to do right like yeah, you have to be able to pick up those pieces, and as you're saying, you know, the children would have held on to that trauma. They would have held on to probably not the passing of your husband, but more of everything else that was going on around around the place and what people yeah. were doing, what people were saying, for example. Um, yeah. So, so it's incredibly brave as a mom to be able to just stand there and just take it and just pick yourself up and keep going. I think it's incredibly brave. It was it was really tough at the time because a lot of people when they first found out he passed away from COVID, there was a lot of speculation over why wasn't he vaccinated and all this mm -hmm. stuff and 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 that's when you kind of have to explain to them. There's a few people that he'd already told why he wasn't yeah. vaccinated because Inda was a very chat he was a very sociable guy, so conversation of vaccinations were coming up quite regularly and he was very open and honest and said look we're trying for another baby and we've had two miscarriages and that's why but it's it's once someone passes away and and then people question it and you think gosh you know if hindsight would it have changed what he his outcome was we will never know and yeah. and thing is that's something that you can't think about but it's something that people throw in your face a lot during a passing and and I think that would have been very unfair for the children to hear that he did it to himself because he didn't do it to himself he he fought there was a lot of us who caught COVID when he caught it he, and everyone else worked perfectly fine through it I was I was quite poorly but I came through it I just don't understand how he out of like nearly 15 20 of us who caught it ended up in hospital and then passing from it mm -hmm. it's just and and I think no amount of was he vaccinated will ever bring him back. So I think people having these kind of conversations or they would ask, oh, was he poorly? Or did you know there was something wrong with him? And the honest answer is there was nothing wrong with him. And he's just that small percentage of people where COVID really affects you <clears throat> badly. And, um, and that's why I decided to keep the children away because when, when you first start hearing these conversations people are having, your children are walking around. And my son, even though he's five, he's very he's a very sensible five-year-old and he and he sits and he thinks about what people say. So I knew that he would have been thinking 
why has daddy done this or he would have lashed out at Inda when it wasn't Inda's fault so yeah so I think sometimes protecting them from other people's opinions and other people's views is is better and letting them make up their own mind as they get older about yeah. the circumstances around what happened but but yeah so like you were you're going on about friends and family you know your family came over from Birmingham took over with the kids um so how important like how how pivotal was having that support there at this sort of time do you think it would be it was easier having people around do you think it would have been easier for you to get that time to be able to grieve yourself because I can imagine if everyone's constantly around it probably left little room for you to be able to grieve yeah. the way you want to um yeah it was really tough I'm not gonna lie but at the time I thought so I grieved with people for Inda for them in the first mm. month after he passed and I think my grieving process really started when we moved back home so in this short space of um Inda passing on the 4th of um, September we had his funeral on the 18th which was almost two weeks later yeah. and we had our wedding anniversary on the 22nd and then it was our son's birthday on the 29th of September so we had a lot of things happening in such a short space of time and I think I was just going with the flow not not dealing with my own emotions and just ignoring the fact that I'd lost my husband and just kept going because we'd planned a birthday party for our son and he'd had a few birthday parties from school that the following weeks and yeah and and I, and I and I took him to every party that he had leaving my daughter with the family and just me and him went to his friend's birthday parties and then we had his birthday party we continued to have it in um in in the venue that we were going to have but and I think everyone we invited whether it was his school friends or whether it was the family members everyone turned up to show support and and that's one thing that I will say about our friends and our family is no matter what I do or what I ask everyone turns up so Inda was very blessed to have a lot of good friends um, and they've all been there for me in their own way whether it's the wives who ring me or whether the the, the boys will send me messages randomly or they'll ask how I'm doing or how the children are doing but for myself I found that my friends were amazing and they pick me up and they carry me forward I think sometimes when even when I don't want to and as as I think the person who's lost everything you kind of want to be there for everyone else because you almost feel guilty that they're sad because of something that's happened to you and and my friendships that I've made in Leicester were always made from just going out and having fun. And this was a massive test for my friends yeah. because they knew me for me. They weren't my friends because I was Inda's wife. So I've got some really good friends in the sense that I've got friends called Harvey, Candy and like Randip and a lot of people who just turn up to the house randomly. And they come home, they come over to my house every Wednesday or every every other evening and they just talk to me and they just carry my evenings forward. And and it's friends like that that make you realise that I'm so glad 
that I made the time to talk to these people and made these friendships because without them, I don't know what I, where I would be because they are like, they're my, my backboard. In the sense, if I'm having a bad day, if I'm having a moment where I just want to cry, I'll just talk to them and they will keep me up. It will keep me propelled. And, and they do more now for me than family do in the sense that my family are still all in Birmingham and it's hard it's, it, and I get it people have busy lives everyone's life goes back to normal but these guys they they take the time out of their own days to come and see me which I find is I feel really humbled and I feel like I can't give them anything more than than just friendship and tea and stuff because they don't have to come but they come every week without fail or they'll call me and I've got one set of really close um family like my mama's children the one who passed away they always have always messaged they always step up and I don't need to ask them twice and that's sometimes in situations like this where people say oh I mean, we're here for you just call us and sometimes you do reach out and people say oh, I'm sorry I'm busy that day but there's some members of my family who will be like that's fine I'm a um, I'm not busy for you I'll turn up and I'll and I'll be there and the same with your friends your friends will drop everything that they have going because they know you need them a little bit more that day and I think if it wasn't for my friends I wouldn't be here a lot stronger than I actually am now and um, and I don't think I can ever thank them enough yeah no it's good it's good you've got a good support system around you to kind of help you through like you're saying every every day is not going to be the same you're going to have times when you know you're going to need that extra support so it's good to hear you've got people around you it's 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 my friends that have kept me in Leicester to be really honest in the sense that when it first Inda first passed away there was a lot of speculation a lot of conversations about where she's going to stay what she's going to do because the first thing everyone thinks is oh she's going to go they're going to go running back to their parents and obviously my family's all in in Brum and but for me, if I wasn't, if I didn't have children, I think the decision would have been a lot easier. I would have, I would have just gone back with my parents a few weeks later after the funeral or whatever. Yeah. But because I've got children and they have a life here, and mm-hmm. I think sometimes it's very unfair. Even though everyone tells me the children are resilient, they can, they can pick up wherever you leave them, and they'll be able to build um, new relationships. But I think why? Why should I? put my children through something else that's quite traumatic and and force them to make friendships at a time where they're already very vulnerable mm-hmm. so my choice to stay in Leicester was a lot for the children and a lot because of my friends because as much as I love my family it's your friends that turn up every day and they message you and and they're the ones that you can have very frank open honest conversations about how you feel and where you feel that don't get me wrong there've been some really dark days where I feel like god why couldn't god just take all of us if he was going to take just Inda why put me through all of this sadness why not just take me too and Mm. and you do get days where you think god why you know why wasn't it why wasn't it me why was it him and it's those days where I don't want to ring my mom and tell her mom I don't want to be here anymore it's days like that where you can pick up your phone and say to your friend like guys having a moment where it's really unfair that he's gone and I got to, I, I survived and he didn't. And, and that's when they come around and they'll have 
those open conversations with them they'll listen I think that's the best thing about friendship is listening and mm. not putting your opinions on the person who's already quite vulnerable and just letting that person talk so uh, so yeah you don't realize how much you're going to need your friends until something like this happens yeah so on those dark days how did you how do you you're saying you know talking to your friends helps you pull yourself out from those dark moments is there anything else you you did to kind of help you for me honestly it's the thought that enders around that keeps me going and I think if he is watching and he's around he's I hope that he's quite proud that we carried on and the other the only other thing that's kept me in this world is the fact that if I was to do something stupid or try and take my life or whatever there's no guarantee that I will be with him because mm -hmm. no one knows what happens after you pass and I think that's that's one of the things and the other thing is the children they've lost they've lost one parent you know it would be very selfish of me to think that that because I want to be with their dad that I will leave them mm -hmm. alone and I think those are the two things that have kept me going really is the fact that into watching and, and I hope that he sees us on the good days rather than the bad days because the bad days are really bad but I hope that he sees us on the good days where, where the children are happy and they're smiling and they're laughing and and children are different to the way that we think because they don't think about the saddest moment of their time all the time like we do like sometimes the thought of Inda consumes my brain all the time and at first you know I still spent ages going through hospital uh, reports and how we could we could have potentially saved him whereas the children they were like what are we going to color today you know so it's very different the way that, that our way of processing grief was and that's one of the things that have kept me going is the sense that I think if he's watching us and he can see us on the good days having fun he'll be at peace and, and know that we even though we miss him so much we've still managed to forge a life after he's gone yeah and uh yeah that's it really and i've noticed about that with your kind of the content you put out on your like personal facebook and things you kind of leave him you're kind of still building his legacy almost you're still you're still like talking about him you know I've seen on on like birthdays you've got pictures of him um so you're still keeping him alive in your memories and things which I think it's so important for the kids because then they're still building that relationship almost um yeah. and knowing that you know this is this has happened but he's still very much part of your part of your life so yeah, yeah. I think you're incredibly brave. That's all I can say. Incredibly brave. Um, yeah, but uh, did you ever did you ever reach out for like professional help? Was there any professional help available? I'm very lucky. So the the company that I work for they offer me um, private medical care, and so I've I've been having counselling um, mm -hmm. since November, and I only just finished on Tuesday. I've got one session left, but I've I've cancelled that up until the week of his um, first anniversary because I thought I'd probably need it more then rather than yeah. now um, 
And so since November, I've been going to bereavement counselling and I've reached out to a company called Widowed and Young. So they they deal with a lot of um, families who have lost a parent very young on their age. And with counselling, because I've never been to counselling before, I wasn't sure what to expect or what I had to do. And so you just sit there and I feel like, I feel like what I did was because I didn't know what to do with counselling and it's not something that you're taught of what you're supposed to do when you go to counselling you go and you just talk to someone mm. I bottle up all of my emotions and think okay so I can release this when I go to counselling so I used to spend most of my days first uh, just crying in counselling and I thought this is how it's got to be and then and then I realised afterwards that I'm holding so much sadness inside all week and and sometimes you know you're driving and and tears just come out of your eyes out of nowhere and I think because I'm keeping it all locked in until I see my counsellor and then I've learned now to embrace it I've learned that if tears are coming just let them come don't hold them in because it just becomes very unbearable inside and I don't know how to explain this kind of like sadness or pain because there's no words for it but my counselor explained that look you've got to embrace the uh, the sadness because that's the only way you can move forward and you have to learn to accept that he's not here mm-hmm. with with organizations so everyone gave me a lot of information and books and packs and stuff but I just joined widowed and young and I and I occasionally and I follow a few grief um um accounts on Instagram but with um the widowed and young groups I found that a lot of people and I don't know whether this is just my opinion but I feel like a lot of people kind of want to outdo your grief so if someone says my husband passed away with COVID and he was in hospital for for two days someone will post oh my husband passed away after five days and got COVID or and he was a lot worse than and and it's I think it's their own way of trying to deal with their grief and yeah. and it's almost like a competition. So I don't really post anything about Indu on on any of the bereavement websites because I think for me my release is sometimes social media. Like if we're having a day where I really miss him or something happens, I'll just put post out there because I don't know who's watching my post all the time. So if it goes out there, it's it's out of my control it's it's out there and it's I've had my release and I've had my moment where I've said what I want to say but I'm also very conscious of the fact that a lot of my family follow me as well and and I don't want to hurt anyone and I don't want anyone to think oh my goodness someone's having a really bad day so I I limit what I do from my own heart because I think sometimes I just want to keep that to myself yeah but with the children I reached out very early on for their help because I think I went to a company called the Laura Centre for my son it was five almost immediately after Indra passing away and um, he's still on a waiting list now so I didn't want any help I wanted to help the children but mm. in order to help them I had to help myself so Cam was still on a waiting list at um, this place called the Laura Centre it's based in Leicester and it's it's a very very well run organization but sadly they're very underfunded so they said it could be a year to 18 months before he even gets seen which in a way at first I was very annoyed because I thought he's five he needs that now but then 
I thought, you know, the only way I can help him is by being his counsellor in a little way, in the sense that if I throw him into therapy at such a young age, when small minute things happen later on in life, he may just turn to counselling and not turn to me. And sometimes as a parent, you can kind of logically think for your children and say, okay, so these are the scenarios, what should we do? So in a way with Campbell, I'm kind of glad now that he's still on a waiting list because I've been able to guide him as well as guide myself and help him. So we have quite open conversations about how he misses daddy and and what he wants to do. So over Father's Day, we um, it was his choice to go to Stratford upon Avon. He wanted to know what where we scattered in the sashes and he wanted to go there. And if it's something that I can do for him, I would always do. And we had a conversation yesterday because I knew I was going to talk to you today. And I and I just asked him, look, ha, ha, daddy's been gone for some time now coming up to the one year anniversary how do you feel and and his response was really sweet in the sense that he, he logically thinks about everyone so about myself himself and Simmer. so these were, were the three main people in his life so he'll say like for me he feels really sorry because I knew daddy and he sees me he sees me get sad sometimes and he can't do anything so for me he, he feels really bad that I knew daddy the most and so I'm gonna miss him the most for him he 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 misses his dad in the sense that Inda took him everywhere Inda was a very much of a a doer so he would fix everything in the house and Camel was always there with him or because he was a lot stronger than me he could hold Camel upside down by his ankles and swing him and so Camel misses that he misses the physical side of Inda not being there because everything else he says that mummy can do for me so if he wants to go somewhere he knows I'll never say no and I think I've overcompensated this year we go anywhere that they want to go if I within means and then for Simma he, he says that he feels sorry for her because she didn't get to spend that much time with him that he did and he almost feels guilty for knowing daddy longer than she did and he feels sorry for her because she will forget soon. And and obviously she won't forget daddy because we'll always remind her. But I just think from a five year well, six year old's point of view now, and I think he's at a stage where he understands a lot more than he would have had I just thrown him straight into therapy. And we have conversations like this quite quite regularly because I, I like to know where he is in his in his thought process and how he's feeling and how he's dealing with Inda's loss. Simmer is getting, she's getting to that stage where she brings Inda into conversations. So we, I, the great thing about Simmer's nursery is that they all went on grief training because she was one of the first parent, first children they've had who've lost a parent whilst under their care. So the great thing about the nursery was that they, actively went out to try and help her and I felt so grateful to them because I didn't know where to start with her because she's she was two and yeah. she wasn't talking at the time so they they tell me I need to be a little bit more stricter with her because she's so young and she incorporates conversations with Indo in them so she'll say 
mummy, daddy, Kawa, Femi were going out, I've tried to explain to her that daddy's not coming with us, which is really hard because at three now, because she's becoming more vocal, yeah, it's daddy consumes her because he was him and her they it's, it's weird because she was only two when he passed away but he was her favorite and you're not supposed to have favorites as parents but she always was drawn to him mm. and I know that he was her favorite and that's fine but now I have to try and be the bad guy sometimes by trying to explain to her that so we know daddy's not here because if I let her continue it feels like I'm lying to her that he's going to come home one day and I have to try and reinforce to her a lot more recently that daddy's not coming back yeah. and you have to um, you have to kind of talk them into it whilst holding your own tears back sometimes and, and sometimes it works I'm not gonna lie sometimes I do start getting really upset because she'll just catch you off guard and yeah. and especially when she cries so if she gets upset she'll say that she wants daddy and she'll just point to the sky and I think that's so hard for me to sometimes see because I think gosh you know at three I can't give you what you want and I can give you everything you want except the one thing that you actually do want and so I'm very lucky that I've got a good support network with the school and with the nursery and that if I have a moment or if I have any kind of concern I can go and see them yeah. and they and they they do what they can to help but ultimately it's down to me and the decisions that I make that drive them forward so um so yeah it's we're learning every day and I think as the children are getting older and they're being more exposed to everything it, it's on one hand getting easier but one hand getting harder yeah so on that note I think it's a good it's a good like sort of end point what you made that you're battling every day but you're moving forward yeah so I think I think you're incredibly brave as I've said before you're yeah. incredibly brave I'm um, such a boring person I honestly don't know <laughs> why you yeah, want to I'm talk sure to I'm sure you're going to be an inspiration oh. to many because uh, you know yeah. as a mother you've kind of personified wearing all these different hats um as well as kind of still progressing forward doing what you need to do for your own progression for your kids progressions um I'm getting choked up now. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I bring the sadness. I'm so sorry. No, no, no. Um, but thank you so much for um, yeah. sharing your story. I know it's um, it's hard um, yeah. to share a story like this, but um, I'm glad you have. <laughs>